This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Homeland Security Department recently completed rulemaking to carry out a law enacted in 2014. It gives the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency a lot of discretion in hiring cybersecurity people. My next guest says maybe too much discretion. Bob Tobias is a longtime federal employment expert and a professor in the key executive leadership program at American University, and he joins me now. Bob, good to have you back. Thank you, Tom. And run through us what the discretionary abilities now to hire cyber people actually are under this uh, new rule just completed. Well, in the interest of DHS attracting the cybersecurity talent that we really, really need in the federal government, Congress gave DHS the authority to pay these cybersecurity employees up to a cap of $255,800, which is pay equivalent to the vice president's salary, based solely on the skills of the applicant and the needs of DHS. And I think there's no question that the federal government needs top cybersecurity talent and the ability to pay more than GS rates. But the law also provides that DHS may hire these employees without competition. They can increase pay based solely on DHS management's judgment whether their work has more mission impact. If the impact increases, their pay increases. And they have the authority to not review one of these employees solely at the discretion of DHS management. So I question whether it's wise to give so much discretion, which can so easily be translated into unchallengeable abuse to any public sector manager. I guess a detailed question is whether fixing the highest salary at the vice presidential level, which is a good reference mark for federal employment, is there any relation to that figure to the actual market for cybersecurity people? That is to say, what if they are on an average of 175 and not 255? Then the government would be overpaying. Well, that's the top cap. They can pay anything under that cap, and presumably they would exercise that discretion wisely. So it's not the top cap that worries me so much. It's the administration of the program as it affects federal employees. You know, We discovered back in 1883, when Congress passed the Pendleton Act, that government leaders pursued their own interests, not the public interest. And so Congress enacted in 1883 and subsequent legislation to say that the government should be administered using merit principles. In this case, those merit principles have been waived. Sure. I guess maybe the merit systems principles In recent years, we've seen them get circumvented because it's the hiring process that is somehow broken. And so they're maybe using the wrong fix, sounds like you're saying. It is. You know, without standard hiring criteria and without standard evaluation criteria, employees are going to be receiving pay increases based on who they work for rather than the work that they do. And I mean, it just follows because even in the best of circumstances, one supervisor will evaluate a person for a 2% increase and another will evaluate the same employee for the same work, a 5% increase. So without standard evaluation criteria in place, it's inevitable that people will not be paid the same for similar work. 
We're speaking with Bob Tobias. He's a professor in the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University. And the idea that the increases are tied based solely on mission impact, that can get into some subtleties that might allow for abuse, too, I suppose, because what is the mission impact of cybersecurity? The impact is that the mission is not interrupted. So you almost have to prove a negative to be able to prove their mission outcome, unless the mission is CISA, which is cybersecurity, is its mission. Well, right. Mission impact. I have no idea how I will judge mission impact as a supervisor. It's, I know it when I see it. Well, I know it when I see it, if I'm supervisor A, but I know it as I see it, supervisor B, inevitably, that amount of unsubstantiated and undefined discretion is going to lead to abuse. And then there's also the possibility of the my brother, the cybersecurity pro, we got to get him in possibility, that potential too, for just old-fashioned nepotism. Absolutely. Absolutely, Tom. If I have the sole discretion to hire whomever I want, it will be possible to hire and to pay employees based on loyalty, based on relationships to a boss or a political party and discharge those who are not my relatives or who are not loyal to my political party. So there's much abuse that can occur. Now, one difference, though, is these are term appointments, even though they're renewable, but they're not permanent employment that you would have to have some merit basis for. So maybe it's just a way for CISA to get in people they need temporarily, get things pushed along, and then those people move back to the private sector, presumably. Well, that's the idea, that these folks would come to the government and leave the government. But also that can be subject to abuse because if I'm on a term and it's renewable and I decide I don't like you just because I don't like you, I won't renew your contract, even though the employee is doing great work. So that, too, is subject to abuse. So perhaps maybe the best way, in your view, for the agency to conduct these types of hiring under this program is to do it competitively. They're not prevented from doing it, even though they're not compelled to do it competitively. But you could have a competitive hire that doesn't fully follow the standard procedures you would use for a permanent federal employee under the merit systems principles. But nevertheless, you could have people compete for a job. That's correct. I think that the great part of this law is it allows the federal government to pay more competitive rates. But if it included the merit system principles in implementing that increased pay discretion, we would ensure what has happened in the past will not happen in the future. Now, we know that the Department of Defense has a similar authority. They've hired thousands of people under that. You just wonder what might have gone on, I suppose. I guess. There are 4,500 people that DOD has hired under this system, and we don't know how it's been implemented. Bob Tobias is a professor in the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University. Some good things to think about. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including commander, 
Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, And I I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, Absolutely. Um, What I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean 
And you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I, I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zell. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, 
it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.